In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. Hey y'all, so today's guest is none other than Queen Lucia Tifa of Atlanta Roller Derby. I had a awesome time speaking with her all about her storied 15-year career and this past 2019 season as captain of the charter team, as well as what she has going on next season, which is pretty exciting. We also debuted two segments, Ancient Derby Proverbs and Who Said That? Uh, So stay tuned and enjoy. So I started in um, 2005. So basically, I, I had a daughter. And then immediately following that, I just felt really lost. She was born in 2004, May of 2004. So three months after I had her, I saw an article about Atlanta roller derby. And I started sporadically coming to practices. At that time, there were no fresh meat programs. There were no, there was no intake process. So you just kind of came and practiced and learned and, you know, scrimmaged until something happened. You didn't know what that would be. So I was just kind of skating with them until they decided to create a new team in 2006. Because at that time, seasons weren't long, right? Because... <laughs> Tanya Hyde, also known as Angela Ward, she uh, she started it here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and she was one of the first 12, the Wufta 12, I believe it is. So Atlanta was one of the first. One of the founding um, teams, founding leaders. Yeah. Back then, That's you know, you amazing. went around, you bothered your friends about joining, you chatted up people at bars, you saw someone in a grocery store that you thought sort of looked fit and cool, and you asked them if they wanted to skate. So it wasn't, it was just a different time then. But officially, I skated in my first games in 2006. So even though I was kind of tootling around on my two big skates um, for a long time, I didn't join the home team of the Toxic Shocks until the 2006 season. Initially, Atlanta had three home teams. And then they, the following year, they started a fourth home team because it just grew so quickly, right? So many people got interested after watching games. And so um, they started a fourth team called the Toxic Shock. So at their awards banquet for the previous season, that's when they announced who would be on the new team. And I was placed there. And then from there, I believe in t- in 2005, they did have a travel team. They went to Dust Devil um, in Arizona and kind of realized, hey, you know, we probably need to practice a little more or 
do something a little different because we're not as, you know, cutting edge as we would like to be with this sport. And they they kind of buckled down and started working really hard. At the time, what they came back and shared with us is that they felt like it was a culture shock to go to Dust Devil. And there were teams that were so good. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Texas at the time, people running strategy, you know, it was just, it was a very punk rock um, girl power initiative for Atlanta. But I don't know that there was a super big investment in learning the sport as well as they could have at the time. So I think going to Dust Devil and and then being good skaters here locally and then getting that exposure to other teams Mm -hmm. really helped for us to realize what needed to happen. And that's why I've always loved the competitive play of, you know, when it was regionals and now, you know, playoffs. I love the competitive play of knowing what other teams are doing in their part of the world because it helps you to know, hey, this is what we need to be doing, or hey, what we're doing is great. You know, start, stop, start, and continue. I think is is really important, and that's what we learned. Oh, it was a it was a struggle though. I think that <laughs> we did learn early on that we had a, but in addition to the fact that we learned that we had a lot to work on, we struggled as a league to figure out what was our focus. Did we want it to be? hey, we're athletes, or do we want it to be more fun and audience engagement activities? And so that was the early struggles. Competitive. Yes, the competitive argument. Competitive versus entertaining, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, first of all, like just just to like for people who aren't aware of Atlanta's Atlanta's league size, like how many how many players do you have in your league? Uh, and has that changed from like back in those days to now? I'd assume so. Oh yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it was a I say it was like a tight thirty, right? Mm-hmm. You know, friends, people That's you harassed in bars. But at at that time when they first started. There were no requirements around attendance. There was no, you know what I mean? There, was, there wasn't that kind of structure yet because we were still struggling with figuring out what's it going to be. Is it going to be competition or is it going to be entertainment? As the league ultimately voted that, hey, we want to make it more competitive. We want to not play certain teams and be blown out. You know, we want, we can say, hey, it's fun to win and still try to balance fun activities through our home teams. So it was a struggle in the beginning, just trying to agree on the foundational piece of what our league would be. Right. How many of those, of like the, that tight 30 are still actively involved in playing such as yourself? Mm. So I wasn't in the, I wasn't in the dirty 30 at, at first, right? So I was like fresh meat at that time. But I would say of the ones still involved, I'm trying to think early on. I don't think any of the, the initial league members are active members. They still attend games um, throughout the season. So they're still supporting us in that way. That's Social activities, certain league activities. But I think what happens is when you're, um, when you're the ground up team, so much work hmm. is carried on your shoulders that when you decide to retire, you truly need a break, right? You're ready. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because... <laughs> Any process that needed to be built out, you struggled to write it, rewrite it, implement sponsorship. You know, you were banging on doors early on and and kind of figuring out how much do we need to charge? Who do we need to reach out to? What's our target demographic? They did so much work in the beginning. I think they're just tired. You know what I mean? They love it. And you see it like you see graduating from college. It's like, yeah, I, I went there. I'm an alumni. I'll go back for homecoming. But 
I don't want to be involved in, every day. In that like nascent period too is also really important because you want to make sure that someone's able to like accept that baton and the whole thing doesn't like fall apart, right? Because like, you know, once the person becomes the production manager, then you don't want them to take all that knowledge with them and like them be the production manager and then that's it and that gaping hole, right? You got to exactly. train the people under you to make sure that that actually lasts. Now it makes exactly. little sense. So I think when, when later people, and this is, I'm sure of all leagues, as later people come in, there's already a playbook for how you run about production. You can improve upon what we've written, but you didn't actually have to create mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a lot of labor that goes into being in the early development of a league. Growth, like, and real estate changes and like rank, you know, closures and that sort of thing. Has that impacted your league? And, and in those decisions and those moves? I think the biggest thing that impacts our league because it's a volunteer organization is membership levels, mm-hmm. right? So um, we vote on spaces or we make decisions based on the number of members we have at a time, but a lease is a, is a long-term commitment. So if your league grows, great. If your league shrinks or if you don't sell as many tickets as you, as you did at one time, you're constantly balancing between meeting your financial commitments and trying to grow the sport organically in our city. Because every city is different with sport. How did you manage that organic growth? I think Atlanta, as far as the city goes, we try to be familiar to you or we stick to the same parade. So our fan base, they're used to seeing us in certain places. We're active in the community, working with Habitat for Humanity. So we try to be stewards in our community, not just take, take, take. We also want to be giving back to the community, you know, participating in breast cancer awareness walks, participating in, like I said, Habitat for Humanity. So it isn't just like, hey, we're here, buy a ticket from me. It's also, we live in this city and we're here to give back to it. That has endeared us to our fans locally. What's Atlanta's uh, league size Z? These days? Ooh, I think it may be mid 60s to 70s. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Because we have, because membership is not just actively skating. So our membership, anyone paying dues, so you can be an active retiree who still comes to practice, you know, still scrimmages, still subs in home games on occasion. So that's how we would look at members. That's why I'm saying it varies. So as an active retiree, you can choose to be participating or you can take a step back for a while and then come back. It just varies. But I think it's hovering in the 60s to 70 range. Great. And what is your like fresh meat class usually like totally? Ooh. So the way fresh meat works now, now is the process works through our rec league. So there isn't just a direct intake period of, hey, come to a workshop between these dates and try out. Um, You're constantly needing to be involved, coming to endurance practices, going through the levels of our rec program. And then we'll we'll run a tryout based on how people are progressing through the program. So like the evaluations period kind of like decides whether you'll be moved up or whether you stay in place and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and so what is your different. draft size then? Oh, like I said, that would vary too. So we don't, sometimes it may be two people going into the draft. Sometimes it may be five or six. Gotcha. So when is the, like the start and end months of your season? Okay. So for home, starts- se- for home teams, I guess. Season starts in January, and then it would end in September when we do our championship game. Mm-hmm. One bout per month, or two bouts per month, because we do a um, we do an event that has two bouts a month. That's cool. And they're like, uh, what are the size of the year? 
the auditorium usually like I think our auditorium can fit about 700 people and is it like is it a sold out crowd yes that's awesome that's really that sounds like a lot of community support I mean honestly like you know not even within if we look at like if we pull back and think about skating in general Atlanta's like world famous and legendary for its skate scene so I gotta think that that must like cross over and translate is that right yeah I think so I love those quads I mean, I think what what has been um, really good for Atlanta is to not lose touch with the fact that our local city drives our business, that this is a business, right? So our travel team is great and we want that team to succeed, but the priority is the local and home team because our community is who supports us. Our community is who allows us to go and participate in the travel activity. Wow. That's so interesting. So the local is first, the local is what? Well, when you're, when you're talking about it in terms of a business, Mm -hmm. yes, the local has to be first because I don't, you know, as a team, we don't make money off of going to playoffs or any tournament play. That's true. As a league, we make our money on our home games. So the priority has to be in the production value, uh, making sure we're getting people to come to the game. Mm-hmm. So that's the mon- the number one driver of revenue for y'all, the, the home team games. I think it is a number one driver, but of course we have a, a five-year plan. And so that'll vary. That's a living and breathing document based on the direction the membership at the time wants to go in. Yeah. And so it'll vary, but home teams and that has been a priority. Obviously, advancing Atlanta Roller Derby through our travel arm is important. And and we do that through a commitment to more practice time, a commitment to having tryouts and our training department supporting those efforts. But when you're looking at it from a business aspect, so it's two different arms, right? Advancing your sport athletically and then advancing your business locally. The former can't be sustainable without the latter. Exactly. And I think that's that can sometimes be the issue when when leagues struggle is that prioritization of the one over the other. But the money doesn't come from traveling. Sure. So. Money goes from traveling. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Traveling is like a traveling is like a, a child you have that you take care of. It's like this is great. I want to see you grow. I want to see you develop. I want you to be your best self. But this is how we pay for that. Mama gotta go to so, work. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So we need 100% participation in these home bouts. We need you interacting with our fans. We need you selling tickets and participating in PR events and prioritizing Atlanta Roller Derby locally. Are you still on your home team? No. So this last year, I didn't participate in a home team. I did travel team exclusively Mm -hmm. because I had recently come off being on the board of directors for many years because I'm one of those people that feels like they have to be involved. Yeah. So So I took a step back from the board and then I, I... I took a step back from home team so I could focus on travel team stuff because this past year I had become the team captain. So I wanted to focus on that and I didn't want to feel like I couldn't commit the time to that with my non-derby life. As you mentioned, you were in the board leadership, been a part of Woftada leadership at any point because the the Apex article that you wrote like made me, I, I made me feel like, gosh, like aside from the actual commentary and the content of your piece, I was like, 
this is a voice that I wish was in greater like organizational <laughs> governing body leadership. Have you done that before? No. So for a time, um, I think a year and a half ago, I had volunteered to participate in the diversity and inclusion committee. Prior to that, I had applied for some previous positions in the WFTDA that I did not get. And so I just, you know, I didn't continue to pursue it. I, so I did participate in on, on the diversity and inclusion committee for a while. There's so much going on in and around roller derby that it can be difficult to fix all the things you see going on, right? Sure. And it was such a new committee at the time that I think, you know, still trying to figure out the scope of what the committee will do, um, what the values are for the committee. It was just so new at the time. And so what year are we talking here? Two years ago. Okay. So not 2019, I think 2018 is when I joined and it still felt like we weren't yet coming up with a business plan of these are the issues we want to attack this is our plan of action to do it. You people do these things, you people do these things. Sure. It still felt like, okay, we're still developing because it was, I think they were being bombarded with so many issues that it hasn't settled in yet to, this is what we're doing. This is our plan of action for this year. Huh. And I think I'm, I think my personality is such that I want to actively get to work on multiple issues at a time. So I have to find spaces that work with this big personality. Your strengths, like leverage those strengths. <laughs> exactly. I need, I need to have these strengths leveraged. <laughs> <laughs> it makes so much sense. How did things change for you being travel team only and captaining this, this squad this year? What was your mentality? What was your mindset? What did you hope? to accomplish? The reason why I wanted to go back into leadership, the previous year I had been a co-captain on the team. And so what our our league decided to do for 2019 was combine the A and B team. They had previously been separate. We didn't practice together. We did one practice a month together. So this year we decided, hey, let's just have one big team, all practice together, be on the same page about strategies so that things will more easily flow between the two groups. That meant that when the schedule was built, we would try to have games together, A and B playing together so we could all travel together. So that was the big, the big uh, plan for 2019. So I was super interested in being involved with that because throughout my career with Atlanta uh, roller derby, I want to be involved. I like the idea of helping to build something. I don't like to stand idly by and just see other people do work. I want to participate in the development of things. So I ran for captain and I won. And I tried to help build a place where, you know, with my my leadership team so that they can continue to develop. It's not a one and done thing, being that this was the new year. I wanted to have it where, here, here's a good foundational piece, a springboard for you to kick off what subsequent years will look like when you're going from a 20-person charter for an 18 to now managing 30, 32, 33 skaters, some of which are floating between two teams. So it was challenging at first to try to get everyone on the same page around what our practice is going to look like, how many hours a week we're going to do, because that was all very different, two totally separate team cultures. It was challenging, but I enjoyed it. Also, it was challenging because we're a very diverse team on the Woofta landscape. So we have those challenges that we're dealing with and the concerns that the team has about that and just microaggressions that you're dealing with. So it's, it's a 
lot of different things that you're navigating in addition to the structural changes we agreed to make as a league. But I enjoyed it. Are you satisfied with where the team ended in comparison to where it began? I'd say I was pleased with the way it turned out. With regards to what like internally, me. yeah. I mean, because yeah. I also want to talk about that, like the other, like external piece that you can't really, you can't really plan for. You really can't train for. You really can't so, play, play for. Yeah. So here's what I'll say: I'm happy with. I'm a hundred percent happy with our league charged us with creating this new space, and we did that checkbox. We did that. I'm excited about the team decided there were certain things we wanted to do. And we did that. What isn't always possible is we can agree that structurally we want to make changes. We can agree as a team, we want to have a 70% practice requirement or whatever it is. And we can do that. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to you win a gold medal and you obtain the Hydra, right? So I'm happy that we set goals for ourselves and we were able to achieve those goals. I think what you should look for in 2020 is now that you have the structure in place of what you voted on as a league, what you voted on as a team, you got to take it to the next level of now you move on to this is where you ended your season, you know, on the WFTDA rankings. And now you move forward, right? Because you're not you're not dealing with the structural piece of how the team, the, la- the team landscape. So I think that's the difference for 2020. 2019, make the bed. 2020, lay in it and enjoy and move forward and progress. So I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. Incremental successes, right? Of course. When you do like the AB structure, like you, uh, did you have like any A only practicing time or? No. But what does that do in terms of like cohesion for the packs in preparation for post gameplay? So what we would do is we had set packs. So we would like for those packs to work together right? Even in practices. So even though we're practicing as, you know, one big team, which is an A and B charter together, there are skaters that play on both charters. And then there are just A only skaters and there are B only skaters. So even though you're on, you fall somewhere on that spectrum, you have a set pack. And so you try to do drills where you're working with certain blocker buddies or you're working with those packs and scrimmages. So that isn't changing for you. As long as those pack mates are available, you're working with them in practices. So it isn't brand new as we move closer to games. Yeah, no, that's what I was wondering. Like, like if there was like a simulation period, you know, where you're like kind of like trial stuff. But it sounds like, no, you're just kind of, you're always, always you know what to do when you're- You're blocker buddies. Unless you're changed from one pack to another, you're always going to play with, you're going to play with Blackjack or you're going to play with these people or that. So that did, well, that wasn't changing for us. We had Mm -hmm. set pack. And then, so that, we tried to keep that consistency throughout the season, barring any injuries or something like that. Every player is significant and important on the team, but when you have someone like an Anna Chang go out on an injury, how do you adjust for that kind of impact to the team? <laughs> so this this was a tough year, I think, for injuries for Atlanta. And so there is no filling a gap, mm-hmm. right, for certain players. Right. There isn't a plug and play. Definitely we have players where we can look at the stats and we say, okay, when you look at this person's stats from the pre- previous season, this is about how much they were making. We definitely had some players who stepped up, players that had already played with us as crossover players from the B team. 
So they weren't unfamiliar with the A-team roster. Those players stepped in and stepped up. Then some of the, the core players who were already on the team also started stepping up and taking on more responsibility, knowing that, okay, this is the piece that this skater provided and they are out and we don't know yet how long they'll be out or we know they'll be out for the season. We'll need every one of you to make up the difference. And they, they did that mm-hmm. for us. But again, I don't think you can look at a player and say they just all bring something so different, especially if you have a diverse jammer pool. Yeah, or no, of course. Pool. When a person steps out, you look to other people to say, enhance your gifts. Give me a little more if you can bring in new people and give them an opportunity to shine with more playtime or what have you. And that that's all you can do is is positively move forward with what you have. And Anna was consistently at practices, giving feedback to the jammer pool and, and trying to, to share uh, best practices on what she does in certain situations. So that was really helpful, too, is that the skaters that we had who were injured were engaged, right? They were present. And that makes a difference and, and makes people feel taken care of and invested in. Like, you got to kind of like roll with the punches, like roll derby so unpredictable. You could pick down like three blockers and exactly. <laughs> you got to be like, now what? So I guess it's, it's like that, but like, on a, on a team yeah. level, right? On any time, it's like a player could be injured. A player yeah. can is unable to travel because they you know, weren't able to make attendance or have a work commitment or family commitment. You yeah. never know what's going to you just got to roll with the punches. You can't, <laughs> you can't yeah, be right. like, oh, game over. <laughs> no. Right. We've got players, so you know, bizarre. going to grad school, so totally. many different things. That, and I think so much of this year, because so much of it for Atlanta this year was about, we all have so many outside commitments, grad school, family obligations, things like that work that it was about supporting people and knowing that, look, I'm not looking for you to give 100% this year because we both know that you can't, right? I'm looking for you to give as much as you can, stay engaged, stay involved, and we'll work through it together as a team versus, no, don't take a step back because we still need you. There's value in your presence, even if it isn't as much as it has been in previous years. So I thought that was important. And we had a lot of people where that was an issue where it's like, oh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. Should I just take a step back? And we're like, no, because there's more to you being a valuable player on the team than just your ability to skate for X number of hours a week next to us. So give us what you can until you can do better. Mm -hmm. As long as I know that you're keeping us informed and you are making an effort to do better, you know, we will work with what we have and try to develop other skaters to cover space until other people are available. How do you adjust for the the microaggressions and the external sort of variables that you have come across as such a diverse team in in roller derby? Like what kind of preparation goes into that? Aspect well, that's, that's the thing. I think um, you can't prepare for microaggressions, right? It's always a punch in the mouth when something happens. Because I think the thing about um, being a person of color is I think we work really hard, and this is my experience, I can't speak for everyone, but I work really hard to walk into a room and not make an assumption about how you're gonna interact with me. But as soon as you give me a tidbit of something, now my bristles are up, right? And so when you're talking about a a team that has such a diverse charter, once that group of individuals' bristles go up, the way we can play is changed. The way I can engage in the sport is changed. So it is a factor. It's a strategy that's working against me that shouldn't even be present. So it's difficult. And we'll try to say, we'll say all the things that every team will say, which is don't let these things affect you. Don't let it get in your head. But this is our life. This isn't just roller derby, right? 
it doesn't end when we take our skates off. So it is frustrating. And we have to own that this is a real thing that occurs, not just in this space, but in the rest of the world. So I have to allow you to feel what you feel and let me know when you're ready to move forward and go into the next jam or if you need to take a moment off. That's a reality for us. I can't just brush it off if I feel harmed by what's occurred. And so what prompted the piece that I wrote was the judgment that you get for people trying to say, you should take a different stand for a certain reaction. What kind of stands? What does that mean? Like a different (laughs) stand? What have you? I, I think, you know, it was suggested that we should not participate. We should pull our team out. But again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is this is a business. My league has made an investment in myself and every other player on this team. And we want to play. We are harmed by certain activities, but I'm not going to relinquish our opportunity because games get eliminated from, you know, contention. We are still being judged or held accountable to these games. So we're going to play them. It's so complex. It's not a black and white issue of someone called you black seven, six. And so now my whole team pulls out of a tournament. That's just not what happens. We have a very big picture we have to look at and consider what's best for the individual player. What would they like? What action would they like for us to do? What's best for the team and what's best for our league? It sucks that you have to make those kind of decisions in real time because presumably that's not even a part of the game. Like you shouldn't even have to be thinking about these kind of things. Right. But you know, that's not different from the rest of our life. Right. Right. I shouldn't have to think about these things when I go to a grocery store, when I go (laughs) to the DMV. I shouldn't have to think about these or navigate these type of situations anywhere. So it's not surprising to me that these situations come up in this space. It's surprising to me when people think it's my responsibility to fix it if it goes off the rail. I can't fix it because this is something that's ingrained in you. This is a thought process. You're doing stuff on a subconscious level that you might not even be aware of. I can't fix it for you. All I'm trying to say is there needs to be some action taken on our behalf when these types of things occur and we not be penalized when these things occur. It's just something that's so systematic and is you know, prevalent in every aspect of our life. And we come to roller derby and everyone is, oh, it's so, it's such utopia. Everything is very idealistic here. I get away from my problems. I get away from everything in roller derby. And that's something that we don't have the privilege of. Yeah, no. Exactly. (laughs) There's there's no room that I'm going to walk into. You know, there's a lot of people who you can walk into a room and people don't know who you are. There's no room that I go into that no one knows that I'm Black. I am black everywhere I go. So your reaction to people of color, that doesn't change just because I'm wearing a jersey and we all play roller derby. Whoever you were when you came to this space, that's who you are everywhere. So our situation doesn't change. I think what roller derby does a good job with or a better job than most spaces is that they're not afraid to confront the challenges or say out loud that this is a problem. That doesn't mean that we're good about necessarily fixing it or resolving it timely, but better than most spaces about at least calling things out. And and like I said in the article, I believe in calling in. It's everybody's right to call out if you want to call out, do it. But I, I genuinely want to see things improve. I genuinely don't want to see people leave the space if they love the space and are willing to make change. I want to see people stay. You can be ignorant about a topic and someone can educate you and be better. But if you genuinely just want to remain the same, then yeah, maybe this isn't the space for you because I'm not leaving. So, you know, but I I definitely want to call in those who are willing to learn and be exposed to things they've not previously been exposed to. Queen, how are you able to, as a player, as a captain, 
And as a black woman, like, how are you able to, because you're obviously entitled to your own feelings and your own, but as this leader of this team, you're expected to, you know, set the tone and probably keep a cool head and try to like, you know, put, you know, pull your team out of this and keep on going. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot to take, especially when it's racism. Like, how do you, how, how are you able to, you know, feel all of those emotions at once and like be able to, you know, do the thing or do all of the things. Well, I have to say for, for me, I've been fortunate enough that my sister plays. So she's my touchstone, right? Um, Who's your sister? Aphrodite is my sister. I did not know that. Um, Yes. So I, I harassed her to join Atlanta. So for me, she's my sounding board, right? Because I can go from zero to a hundred in a second and I am no saint. So when I talk about calling in, people have to call me in too. So we can be scrimmaging. And if someone yells at me, I forget that I'm your captain and I just see you attacking me, right? So I'm responding to that. And then she can come over and touch my shoulder or touch my forearm. And then I'm, I can come back to the mm-hmm. space. What I want people to know is that I feel like personally, there are no people who are not problematic in some way. My issues are not racism. My issue is not transphobia. My issue is not certain things, but I got things I'm working on and I have touchstones within the team who can say, hey, because they come from a place of love when interacting with me. So they can always say, hey, you know, let's shake that one off. That wasn't great, right? Ultimately, I think the reason why I have been in leadership within Atlanta Roller Derby for the years that I have, not just captaining, but on the board is because ultimately at the core of everything I do, I love Atlanta Roller Derby. I wanted to see that league be successful. I wanted it to grow. I wanted it to organically grow. I wanted to see people get better. I'm not there to take from the league. I'm not there to work my own agenda. You know, roller derby is not my business. I want to see this thing that my friend Angela Ward created grow and be sustainable. So whenever I get upset or whenever I'm frustrated about microaggressions, I have to remember why am I here? I want to see Atlanta Roller Derby advance. I want this thing to be fun. And even if I'm a, a Daria personality, I can exist in this space and be successful, you know, communicate my needs and be heard. And that's why I'm in that's why I'm in roller derby and that's why I'm still here. I have struggled with this idea that you have to bring a certain self to roller derby to be seen as valued. You know what I mean? You have to be loved, you have to be well liked, you have to be smiley. As much as I deal in feminism outside of this space and you know, women reacting with memes on, I can't believe this man told me to smile and I'll smile if I want to. You can see a lot of that in roller derby as well, right? I felt endeared to a person because, oh my gosh, so-and-so is so nice or whatever. People bring their whole selves to this space. And part of the reason for me that I have loved this space when I initially joined is that you could just be whoever you were, right? If you weren't harmful to people. You could be Daria. You could be anyone in this space. You didn't have to just be the cheerleader. You didn't just have to be, you know, a certain body type or whatever. You could be whoever you were in this space and add value to the team, add value to the organization. So I'm all about, this is who I am. I'm a whole person and I struggle with things, but I bring a lot of strength to things as well. And I think as long as people interact with me and lead with love in their interactions with me, 
I will reciprocate that feeling, right? Even though I'm an introverted person who, you know, is not super smiley and not necessarily outgoing, like super extroverted. Yeah, outgoing yeah. like certain individuals, right? Sure. Yeah. But I feel like I make I have made relationships in Derby that I will never let go of because they feel honest, they feel true. Um, these are people who invested in me and wanted me to, wanted to see me grow. And so those I will value forever. And I think that's important that this that we recognize that this space is not unlike any other space, even like a work environment, right? Some people really care about your personal development. Some people care about seeing you get better. And then there are people who it's like, you know, they want what they can get from you. And then they don't necessarily put the time into you that others do. You sure have said a word. <laughs> I know. And also just that whole like niceness, like outward politeness is very fraught too, you know, like that's yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the nicest. Well, it's stressful. It's stressful for me. And let me tell you, because some sometimes some of the nicest people that, that put out a certain thing, they're not necessarily always the nicest. Be, people, I was going right? to say, I've met some of the nicest racists, <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. most, like the most polite, like bigots exactly. in life. It's not even, you know, no. And I've some heard, of the people real. who have been most genuine to me were the people that I didn't necessarily think were my friends. And then they bring you this, these nuggets that you're like, I was very touched by what this individual said, or they blessed me with something that I wasn't getting from people who maybe I thought I would have got that from. So it's like, don't make an assumption on what you're going to get from one person or another, go into this, just open eyes wide open and listening and you will get what you're supposed to get. Very you will true. get fed if you put yourself out there. But, you know, I just, I, I want people to to be mindful of, you know, that player on your team who's not necessarily smiling or not necessarily chatting up everyone doesn't mean there's not, there aren't things working behind those eyes. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, so-and-so never wants to do the blah, blah, blah. We all engage in different ways. So it's just see value in everyone on your team. And so I want to pivot a little to yourself as an athlete. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you've kind of like talked about people who've helped you out with nuggets who have been your mentors and what at this stage in your athletic career, do you feel like you're still struggling with or actively working on? Mm. I think I said this to someone before, which is I am a fighter. So the people who have helped me have been, like I said, Tanya Hyde, the league's creator, just giving me focus, meaning, oh, great, you got all this fight in you. So let me focus you by putting you over the business department or putting you over sponsorship so you can channel these energies, right, (laughs) into certain works. I think people that understand that there's value in every individual, I'm most touched by those people, right? I have learned the most from people who are patient with me. And hey, you know, queen hurt her knee this year or hurt her ankle or previous is coming off a broken leg. So Let's be patient and roll it back so she can know, hey, why don't you come in 15 minutes prior to practice and let's work on plows again. So I have a coach that had worked with the team for several years. Her name was Incinerator and she works for Emory University as a swim coach as well. And so the way she can interact with me, it never feels like a judgment of where you are. Just, hey, let me highlight some things I think you need to be aware of and let's drill those things until you're back to where you were or better than where you were. I respond best to those types of 
individuals, me personally. And so I think incinerator, Tanya Hyde, a local skater named Death Skull, she had been on the travel team for a while as, as well. Just certain skaters, and, and this is true in life, I'm sure you found this too. Some people just get your personality. And they don't look at it and feel threatened by it, right? They can speak to you in a way, because, you know, like I said, I'm a fighter. So some people want to come at me with fire because they, they, they feel like you're so strong that the only thing you will respond to is fire. But when you come at me with fire, Beginning it, blaze. <laughs> right? you know what I mean? It, 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 it's like, well, what are you looking to accomplish with a certain individual? Are you looking to get them riled up? Are you looking to get them to shut down? Or are you looking to, hey, let me tell you, I, and again, I think it goes back to, I care about you and I'm invested in your success. I respond to that. I don't respond to do it or else. Because like I said, I think I, my personality has just always been, I've been raised by strong women and my personality is take no crap. It's not like a, uncoachable thing or anything like that. It's just like, I respond best to feeling like you care about me. I'm just one of those skaters. If I feel like you care about me, there's a genuine desire. What's the why behind what's occurring, right? I personally respond really well to those types of skaters. Because you've also mentioned you've likened ATL to a to a business, but you can't get transactional because when you get transactional, then like you feel used and you feel like it's exactly it's just making those personal connections. And there's like a quote from the movie, The Departed, where he says, I look at you and I think, what can I use you for? And so I respond to that type of coaching and always have, which is I'm not looking for, oh, I can only deal with people who bring this to the table or I only have jammers that are this body type or bring this to the table. I want to look at every piece that comes to the table and I want to say, how can I use you? But also, and use you for the team, but also, are you open to hearing this feedback, knowing that I do care about what's best for the team and and how that affects you, but I can't just live in the space of your feelings. But how can I use like in the terms of like, where would would you fit? Not like, exactly. Yes or no. It's like, right. Right. I think it's, yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely, where would you fit on the team? Mm-hmm. One of the where things can... I've always said about roller derby is you can't look at another team and say, I want to do what that team's doing, mm-hmm. right? Because every every team doesn't have the same pieces available. So you can't look across or over the fence and say, oh my God, Angel City is doing this. We need to be doing this. Okay, so you got to look back in your yard and say, do I have those same pieces? Can we replicate? Can this be duplicated? I think people spend so much time when playoffs and champs come around saying, oh my gosh, we got to all do this new offense. Totally. And it's like, but you don't have any of that personnel. And so I do feel like in, in working in corporate America, that's one of the things I learned, which is I can't do what that department's doing. My personnel brings this level of education, this level of skill this level of commitment. And so based on these things, this is what we can do today. And I think if you spend your you spend your time setting a goal of, I want to do what they did without regard for, okay, you can't just say, we're going to work out more. We're all going to join a CrossFit gym and we're going to automatically get those same results. Because do you have the same personnel? Does that personnel have the same skill level? What level of commitment can we give based on what we're doing in our personal lives? And so if you're setting these goals for yourself that you can't necessarily hit, how is that translating into people's satisfaction with the sport, which is should be why they're here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they're not just here just to win 
gold medals because mm-hmm. you're given so many hours of your life to this thing. I was looking at the time commitment and I think I'm given like given like 30% of your time to roller derby of the waking hours you have available. You're given that much time with travel, with roller con, with practices, with supplemental activities like working out and footage review and home teams and PR events. You're given a lot of time to this thing. So you cannot place all of those eggs into a metal basket because that's going to be disappointment because there's only three (laughs) out of the, what is it, 400 plus teams. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So can the goal be that we strive to get better? The goal be identifying what our pieces of the puzzle are and what is the highest level of achievement we can get based on the level of commitment we're really willing to give, what our capacity is this season, what our skill set is based on injuries. And it's so many things. And so that's that to me is the hardest part of leadership is getting people to stop looking just at the pie in the sky, but also looking holistically at, all right, if these are the things we need to make it happen, where are we on the scale? When you talk about teams practicing 15 hours a week, but maybe you have a team that only wants to practice six hours a week and that's what they can do, then, okay, we need to level set based on our level of commitment this year. It's a struggle (laughs) in leadership to try to get that balance. Where are you in the in the 2020 process and planning? Have y'all like elected leadership or what's going on? So for 2020, I'll be playing with Atlanta men's roller derby. I'm not going to play with the women's team this year. But for the women's team. Look at me breaking news over here. (laughs) But for the women's team, um, I believe they're going to have tryouts in uh, March. Late February, early March, I think, is what they've decided. And they won't decide on leadership until after they've chosen the team. So then that all, then they they begin their process to formulate what their 2020 goals will be. Exactly. So they'll have to get the team together first and then they'll kind of decide, hey, what's what's your 2020 goals? And you always get the person who's going to say, champ. And then, you know, you'll say, okay, okay. So it's champs. And how much are we going to practice this year? And who's in grad school? And who's got a new baby? And who just got married? And who's got to work 60 hours a week at work? So you got to look at everything, weigh out who you have, and then see what you're able to do against those goals. Now, Queen, what made you move over to the men's side? For me, it goes down to that commitment level, right? So the men have a lower practice requirement than what the women were doing. And so I opted to go back to school. I'm a manager at my job. So I'm managing like 14 people at work and I was going to be taking on some more responsibility at work. And I just didn't know if I could give the time commitment that was required for ARD this season. Have you done that before? Played with the men? Yes. Yes. So I've scrimmaged with them and I, I've played with them, none of their game, their actual games, but I go to scrimmages with men all the time. No, but I mean, well, like you haven't been a part of their team before. Like, this oh, no, a, no, no, no. A kind of like no. transfer for you. This is something brand new. This is something brand new, but also too, after having skated for so many seasons, I like the idea of keeping things fresh. Absolutely. And yeah. New and, and, and of course, I could go back to 
ARD at some point, just feeling like, hey, that's my first true love and I may go back. But I also like the idea of trying new things. You know, you've been at this so long. I, you always wonder like how someone, your level of gameplay and at this level and, you know, in your career, like how you're able to still challenge yourself. That's dope. I wanted to know, given that your ARD is such a diverse team, do you all do anything in different in terms of like recruitment or is it like was there any sort of deliberate planning or effort for that to to be grown to like like from our conversation already I can tell that people's satisfaction and happiness and they stick around because like that's how you retain folks because you know everyone is clearly like people vote with their feet sometimes in roller derby so I feel like that you have so many like long-term players that seems to not be the case generally at your league Uh, yeah I agree I think that the difficulty with when players have been around for a long time is right at some point there will be a exodus and you know people will try to make assumptions about the whys and I don't want to you know, paint our league as all rainbows or whatever. We have the same problems that everybody else has. I think from a diversity perspective, we have been very fortunate over the years. Uh, Most of the players that have a diverse background are transfers. So I do think there must have been some level of a seed planted that made people want to come to Atlanta. There are only a few that are like, in quotes, homegrown. But I think also our league has been very supportive financially with traveling. And I think roller derby is a very expensive sport and some people don't realize that and it can be cost prohibitive for some people to participate, but our league is very supportive. And not sustainable in the long term. Yeah. And I think that was a very desirable factor for a lot of people, how supportive our league can be with regards to travel, how helpful they've been with sponsorship. It matters because I don't know how many of our players would have been able to participate if every bit of travel expenses had been in their lap to cover. So it's we've been very fortunate over the years for our league to have prioritized, hey, the business is one aspect of it, but we do want to see this arm of it become successful. And we want to assist you with these costs to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward, not just necessarily the players who can afford to go. It should, it's got to be a combination of both, right? You, you can give what you can give, but also we want to make sure that the best of our league is represented, however far that takes us. So how many transfers do y'all have? How, like, what would you say the percentage is? Ooh, I would say of the people on who were on the charter for this year, more than half were transfers. That's interesting. Right? Because Anna transferred. We had several from Florida. Some came from Savannah. Some came from other parts of the country. So yeah, probably about half of our charter came from other leagues across the country. And some people move there for jobs. Some people move there specifically for roller derby. It's not, you know, various reasons, but at least half, I'd say. And what brought y'all, you know, you and your family to Atlanta initially? Because didn't you say you're LA native? Yeah. So I'm an LA native. My mom though, however, was raised in Atlanta. So when her grandmother became ill many, many moons ago, she moved my sister and I here to Atlanta and we've just been here ever since. Hmm. And we had initially considered, hey, what about moving back to California? But it's so expensive (laughs) when you go. It's not expensive when you go from LA to Atlanta, but it can be expensive to go from Atlanta back to Los Angeles. So for cost reasons, it was just like, okay, now we're here. We live here. We're native Atlantans. We're peaches. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that we won't move. 
you know, if my job were to take me to Los Angeles within six months or a year, I'd go and I'd be playing roller derby there. So and you'd break the news here, right? You would have it first, the exclusive. <laughs> okay. Do you have yeah. some sort of like saying or advice that you would, you know, it could either be non-derby and then we translate it into derby or something that you've learned along the way in derby that you feel could qualify as an ancient derby proverb? Well, my favorite quote currently is, real G's move in silence like lasagna. And the reason why I like it, and I think it's important to derby, is because what's happening in the world, what's happening in the derby world, is ever-changing, right? And if you move in silence and you just pay attention to what's going on around you, you won't ever feel like you're caught out there. You won't ever feel like someone's calling you out or whatever because you you want to be learning you want to be open to new experiences and so just sit back take in what you can take in and learn and that comes from whether you're a fresh meat 15 year veteran or wherever you are in your derby career if you just sit back take in what you can take in use what's good for you discard what's not you will be good in this space and any space so i think that's important And that's so funny you say that because I feel like that is one of the, I would say that was one of like the key touchstones that I would say about your gameplay style. Like your quiet leadership is amazing. And then as soon as a jammer gets close to you, you give them the business. (laughs) (laughs) So good. All right. Now I didn't tell you, I didn't mention this earlier, but I had this Uh like (laughs) this game that I Mm -hmm. um, invented and it's called, who said that? 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 So, and this one is called um, Mame versus Main. So, what I'm gonna do is test you on your your knowledge of your teammate Gucci Mame's quotes via her Twitter, or. Gucci Mane, the singer. <laughs> so you oh, gotta, Lord. So you got to tell me who said it, Mane or Mame? Gucci Mane, the Atlanta player, or Gucci Mane, the rapper? Oh, All gosh, because right? I feel like they're pretty close. So this is going to be hard. Okay. You ready? Ready. Right. I only want to get married so I can walk down the aisle to International Players Anthem. I'm going to say Gucci Mane said that. The rapper? Yes. Oh, no. Already. Nobody cares. Work harder. Gosh, well, this is something I feel like Gucci Mane said the player. Okay, so maybe we'll say player and rapper. So that Mane and Mane sounds very similar. So you think the player said that? Yeah. No, the rapper said it. This is going to be terrible. I've taken a test I didn't study for or know what's coming. It's like a pop quiz. It was a pop quiz. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. I don't sweat. I glisten. Oh, God. I'm going with the rapper again. The the player. Ah! (laughs) You know, this is killing me because I'm trying to play the averages, like taking an SAT, like just go with C and you'll figure it out. But my strategy is not working. I'm the most disgusting. Butt sweat and face strips. God, I don't know. I'm going to say the rapper. The player. (laughs) Ah! I should have known with the butt sweat, but I was like, oh, I don't know. The grind don't stop. 
I feel like that's both. The rapper. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That could have easily been both. That's true. It's true. Detroit update. Deaf sand, 100% freezing snow. White stuff is definitely snow. Confirmed. I'm going to say the rapper? The play. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Real question. Why are white women a thing? I'm going to say the player. The player. Very good, very good. (laughs) My first correct answer. Never forget that one time I was a creep on ESPN. Oh, gosh. I'm going to say the player. The player. Good job. You're on a roll. This is stupid. I hate everything. It's October. Rapper. Player. (laughs) Ah! First name, get some. Last name, business. Rapper. Rapper. God, I love women rappers so much. I'm going to say the player. Player. Hold yourself accountable. (laughs) Player. Rapper. Ah! (laughs) And then, okay. If you're tired, be quiet and go to sleep, ho. Oh, God. I'm going to say the player. The player. I was going to say, but these quotes could really have gone either way. Amazing, right? (laughs) Thank you so much for being a good sport and playing (laughs) the first ever. (laughs) Who said that? Who said that? I know, and you you did such a good job because it really could have gone either way. Thank you very much. I know a lot of people would have heard that and been like, oh, definitely Gucci Mane. But no. (laughs) Well, I love that Mame is really living up to her namesake. Like, she's she's so good. Right. (laughs) Anyway, all right. So I like to wrap up by giving self-care tips. What's your self-care tip? Listen to your body always. And what should we be holding space for? Diverse ideas. Who's your MVP? Obviously, I'm going to say my family, which I know that's a cliche answer. But I tell you what, I spend so much time leaning on them for support and not being with them because of derby related activities that they're going to be my MVP just for their patience. All right, folks, where they have it. Holding space with magical wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google play, and YouTube help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at holding space with magic pod Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.